the Boy Open Up podcast. I'm your host, Doug Hildreth. With me, as always, is my amazing co-host, Christine Stacy. All right, so on today's podcast, we are going to talk about a very specific uh, situation that we all are in at some point in our lives, uh, maybe a, a lot of these situations all at once, um, but basically when we have to face those big, bad, scary, hard conversations uh, and this could be someone we are working with. It could be a family member. Uh, but just how to face those conversations. And we're going to each give examples of kind of how that has gone for us in different areas of our life. Yeah, saying what needs to be said is shockingly difficult when it comes to an emotionally charged situation. A lot of people... I don't want to say wilt, but hold back and reserve themselves when it comes to moments like that where it requires brave communication because it's so difficult to say what needs to be said in a loving and compassionate manner in emotionally charged situations. Whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's with family, Regardless of the situation, when it comes to having big conversations, it's always emotionally charged. We have both had numerous big conversations in our lives, and we all will. They're not like the movies, where all of a sudden you find the big inspiration and you stand up tall and give the incredible monologue and change the world and turn the tide and then win the game. Right. It's just being able to communicate effectively in in hard situations. Yeah, and, and I definitely think it's a skill. Yeah, the skill has to be worked on over time. I just think of my my story growing up. It was my mom and I. I had no siblings. I think the closest other parents I had were my gymnastics coaches. Yeah. And those girls were kind of like my sisters. Uh, but outside of that, like just my mom and I, I wouldn't say that we were amazing communicators and she was loud. I was shy. Like there's lots of different dynamics going on. Uh, she was an addict. I was had to do everything right. Codependent to the core. We, I just came out of there with little to no yeah. communication skills. Right. Which is really hard, really hard. So it's definitely a skill. And what you can say to that, right. To everybody that's listening. That's like, Oh, I, I suck at this. I'm not a communicator. Because a lot of people will write themselves off as just saying things like, well, I don't communicate well. And you're absolutely right if that's your definitive statement on how you communicate. Yeah. It is a skill, just like you said. You probably communicate much more effectively today than you did five years ago. Oh, yeah. And much more effectively five years ago than you did ten years ago. Yes. And it's really, really critical to understand that you're not going to listen to an episode of a podcast or read a self-help book on communication or spend a week in therapy and come out communicating like a grandmaster. Right, not at all. It is definitely a skill. I think I remember specific times of having kind of these big conversations, the ones that you work up in your mind all day long leading up yes. to. And taking time beforehand to really pray and like settle myself. Yeah. 
and feeling like, yes, it's a skill to learn thing, but feeling like kind of almost divine moments where the words just kind of came. But, but in those moments and allowing that process to happen, I've definitely gotten better. I never in a million years would have said five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago uh, that I would be doing a podcast. Right. And, <laughs> and having to just speak. There's literally no visual whatsoever. It's just my voice and my communication. And I never in a million years thought I would arrive at this point. And to be honest, and if you're listening, you know, I am still learning. I am getting better each time, each day, each time we practice through these. Uh, and it, it just is a skill, whether it's a scary conversation or yeah. a conversation with your child. Yeah. You just get better. We are. We're, we're all learning mm -hmm. every day. And how many conversations do we have that never occur? Hmm. Right? The ones in our head. I have so many. We all do. <laughs> that's, that's where we do most of our rehearsal. The problem is we don't actually practice communicating. We just practice winning. Yes. And, and that's very different because when it comes to communicating in these situations that we're going to dive into in a second, understanding that being brutally honest with somebody isn't necessarily what's most effective. Right. Because what happens is that when we're brutally honest, truth without love is just cruelty. That doesn't help progress a conversation towards solution. So it's learning how to communicate from a place that's almost, and I don't want to say unemotional, but so grounded emotionally that you leave the emotional reaction out of the conversation and learn how to just have the conversation and unpack the things that need to be unpacked without becoming emotionally escalated, which is so difficult. Yes. A, pr a primary example of this for me, because I massively failed at having these kinds of conversations my entire life, even into early adulthood. And I want to be really clear about that. I've failed at these conversations much more than I've ever succeeded. Yeah. Because I feel pretty deeply. I am very sensitive. Mm -hmm. So conversations like this can get really large inside my head before they ever occur. And we all know what that's like when it the conversation we have with ourselves and the pseudo person that we've created in the image of the person we need to speak to yeah. <laughs> is much larger than the one that actually happens. Right. And nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of a hundred, it's always much different than the way we play it out. Right. When I was young, everybody knows at this point, I was an active substance abuser and drug addict. And after I had gotten sober and had been sober for a few years, I still carried around a lot of guilt and shame about the way I behaved and the things that I had done. And I was working through with this mentor trying to correct the wrongs of my past. And I had been slowly but surely seeking out people that I had harmed or that I had done wrong to emotionally in, in some way. And not saying just I'm sorry, but making what we call an amends, where I was actually going to them and acknowledging what I did how I behaved and what I was doing to live my life in a different way and then giving them the opportunity to tell me how it affected them. I had an opportunity to make an amends to this guy who had hired me and it was very brief that I worked for him and he was a family friend of my parents and I was the worst employee ever. I was 
towards the end of my active addiction, I was unreliable. I was dishonest. I did a terrible job at work. I, if I showed up, I was late. I would go to the wrong job sites. I would do the wrong job. I was the picture perfect worst employee ever. And he was a good friend of my dad. So when they let me go, I was so ashamed of the way I had portrayed myself because of how I thought it would make my parents look, but just because of the way I had taken advantage of a family friend. Mm -hmm. So you fast forward and I'm a few years sober. I'm at the grocery store with my mom because I don't go places by myself yet, you know, fresh out of prison and still like learning how to reintegrate into the world. And I run into this guy at the grocery store. Because my mom was there, I justified that it wasn't time to ask him for right. permission to sit down and talk sometime yeah. and make amends. We got done with this the shopping trip, and I told my mom, I said, you know, I really owe him an amends, but I chickened out. Yeah. And I told her that. I said, I totally chickened out. And she said, well, I would say that those things don't happen by coincidence and that you were given an opportunity and you probably shouldn't miss it when it comes up again. Yeah. So, of course, I said, I won't. I'm going to be ready. You know, and that's what I kept telling myself. Yeah. I'm going to be ready. And about a week later, I'm golfing with my dad, and I run into this guy on the golf course. <laughs> I justified that it wasn't the right time to ask him for time to sit down because I was with my dad. Right. And I didn't want to do that in front of a bunch of people. Really, all I was doing was saving my own ego. Yeah. Because I didn't want to embarrass myself, and I didn't want to humble myself to the process of amends in yeah. front of others. So you fast forward about two or three weeks later, my wife and I at the time go to a, a wedding, a big wedding for a, one of my high school coaches. It was in the auditorium at the high school I went to. And I mean like hundreds and hundreds of people were there. We walk in, you can almost see directly where all the classmates and students are sitting. And then, you know, on the right is like more family and friends that are adults, grownups is how I would put it at that time. Cause I was still real young. And I still carried all that guilt and shame about going to prison and the kind of things that I had done after high school. So I made a beeline to the back row of the auditorium away from all the students because right. I didn't want to sit around my classmates and just have to rehash everything that I'd gone through. Yeah. I thought, I'll be safe up here and I can enjoy the wedding. And right through the back door, man, the door busts open and this guy walks through and it's the same guy I've avoided making an amends to two previous times right. and he looks at me and he goes oh doug how are you man and i just looked at him and i go you know if you have a few minutes after this i'd really love to talk with you because i owe you an amends for the way i behaved as an employee and i said if today's not the right time totally understandable but i'd like to set a time to sit down with you mm -hmm. and he goes not a problem. We can chat after the wedding. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> you know, I was hoping yeah. he'd be gracious and say, sure, we'll set up time to get coffee. And then he could blow me off. Yeah. He made time after the wedding wow. and it was very simple. He waited until everybody had left. You know, we took a walk around the high school grounds and I just was able to stand toe to toe with him, take a deep breath and say, I let you down. You went out of your way to give me an opportunity to provide me with a source of income, to provide me with a job, and not because I had earned it, but because you grew up with my dad. Yeah. You did me a huge favor, one that I should be grateful for, something I just took advantage of, and I just owned it in the moment. Then I said something really important. How did that behavior make you feel? 
he looked at me and he shook his head and he just said, I don't even really care about what you did. He goes, it just means a lot to me that you're taking the time to own it now. And he goes, and I'm really happy that you're doing well. Now, most people won't respond that way, right? But it was shocking and really telling about the kind of person that he was to stand there in that moment and be the bigger person. Because yeah. he could have told me how much money it cost him. He could have told me how stressful it was. Who knows how it impacted his family life. Seriously. The guy was very gracious with me. And I learned in that moment that it's just important to lean into the big conversations and be willing to expose ourselves, especially when we've done wrong. Yeah, It's easy to stand there when you're in the right. And it's easy to stand there when you know the praise is coming. The moments that we really grow from is when we stand there and we don't know what's going to come back. Mm -hmm. And we just open ourselves up to it because that's when we get the opportunities to grow. That was just one example of how I was really, really bad at getting to the conversation and it was going to be so terrible, so agonizing to walk through. What was one like for you? Uh, I think what comes to mind first, gosh, I was a junior or senior in college and just kind of the, the background story is it's just my mom and I. I have gone away to school, so I was not even within driving distance right now of my mom. So she was more on her own at this point, and and that was a very intentional decision on my part, uh, was to just have space and get away and, and concentrate on school as best I could. Well, I'm in my last year in a degree in psychology right, and taking all different kinds of classes uh, and I took a class called counseling <laughs> and in that class we were required to read the book called boundaries which I highly recommend wow my mom also at this point is terminally ill she has not been back to work for a couple of years and her health is declining greatly she needs financial help from me she just leans on me pretty heavily for just about everything at this point. Right. And, and you're reading a book about boundaries. Yes. And, and taking is, a class in counseling. Exactly. And this is all I know. Um, and I remember one day during class, this is, has never happened to me, but outside of this one instance, that I couldn't handle everything that what the teacher was saying was bringing up inside of me. And I just burst into tears, like uncontrollable sobs, and had to get up and walk out. I didn't return back to class that day. I It was kind of like all of a sudden the veil was lifted and mm. everything that I struggled with, our whole relationship from the time I was young to that point was literally just sitting in front of me and I could just see the ways my mom had manipulated and used me and the way she was deceitful and the way she crossed a lot of, a lot of boundaries. Sure. I wasn't perfect by any means, but I was still a kid. And so it was hard to just see it all for what it was have no idea what to do next right yeah now what's the next step because now i've like you said the veil's lifted and i'm seeing things clearly yeah and now it's how do i proceed from here and all of a sudden i'm filled with anger and resentment but also my mom's dying right 
So that's a really conflicting set of emotions. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, yes. you know, it's easy to laugh about now. That's a massively conflicting moment in life. Yes, and I'm 20 years old. So what did you do? I remember that I avoided for a long time. Sure. <laughs> she was calling, texting, and I just didn't even know how to begin. I set up a counseling appointment for myself to kind of hash through some things that I just had questions. Like, is it okay for my mom to have credit cards in my name? Is it okay for these different things that, that, that I just, just, I really didn't know. Yeah. I honestly was, this is all I've known. And so having a counselor help sort out some of my thoughts was really helpful before I then got on the phone with her. Right. By the time I got on the phone, I just remember I needed to be honest with her right. about the way she has hurt me. Yeah. And I needed to say it out loud, but I also wanted to let her know that I love her and I'm not going anywhere. Right. Setting it's, boundaries. Yep. So we are miles and miles and miles apart, and I just remember having the conversation and it's totally different from the one you had because I am going to the person who's hurting me. Correct. Uh, and, and who's not in to any kind of healthier solution based behavior. The conversation itself was emotional, but I think it was less, my mom took it much better than I would have. Oh, good. Expected. Why? She, I don't I don't remember it all clearly other than I she didn't get defensive. She was at the end of her life. Yeah. At this point in time. And she was able to say sorry. Some of the things were things that were not going to be fixable. Right. Well, and what a massive moment. We talk about big conversations. I mean, I'm talking about making an amends to a guy I harmed. Yeah. You're talking about mom's dying. And I'm coming to her to confront her about some lifelong behavioral issues that we've had. Right. And at this point in time, I didn't know the severity of how ill she was. Honestly, I wasn't ready to really swallow that, to, to believe that she was actually at the end. And I thought, I don't know what I thought, a couple years. Okay. And so it's about, it's winter time now. Like I'm coming to the end, I believe, of my semester. Or actually maybe I'm in the middle of it. I, just background story, I go through a bad breakup right after this conversation. Good timing. Right. It just worked, it's kind of a God thing, I think, it just worked out perfectly that the only person I really wanted was my mom. I was just sad, and yeah. I wanted my mom. And so, ironically, after kind of throwing all these things at her about how I've been hurt over the last 20 years by her actions and manipulation... I then call her just asking her to listen to me and my broken heart. Yeah. And just let her be my mom emotionally. And so that honestly was a funny way to heal. Yeah, to reconnect. So, yep, reconnect. And then it was a month or so later that I got the call from the doctors that she was uh, in liver failure and had a couple weeks to live. So... The timeline went really fast at the end, but I'm so thankful that I took that step of having the hard conversation 
Yeah, uh, because would you have been willing to go back and call her when your heart was aching? Probably not. And then when she was on her deathbed, there's no way I would have talked to her about all those things. Exactly. So. Yeah, so what an incredible way to define why it's important to have the big conversations and yeah. why it's important not to put them off. Right. Because it, we really don't know, and this is a, obviously an extreme case, but we really don't know how fragile life is. No. And we really don't know how quickly things can change. Right. Yep. So it's incredibly important to find the willingness and summon the courage mm -hmm. to lean into those conversations. For sure. We gave kind of larger, I would say, examples, but... the hard conversations can happen every day. Like you've had a handful at work in the last couple of years. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that's important to acknowledge too, is that not having the hard conversations on the day to day basis leads to these monumental ones later. Yes. Because yes. if we avoid them, because it's like, eh, I'll deal with it later. Or eh, I'd rather not have that conversation right now because it's uncomfortable. Yep. I'll just get to it later. Right. What it does is it builds and it builds and it builds because it can build resentment. Mm -hmm. It can be build discontent. It can build discord. It can build distrust in a relationship. Right. And that's when things can really get volatile. Yeah. So that's why it's so critical to lean in right away and just say, we need to break this down right. and we need to figure out what's going on. Because something isn't working right now. Yeah. Something isn't communicating right between us. Something isn't clicking. And we need to figure out what it is. Because sometimes it isn't just the other person. It usually has something to do with me too. Yep. But if we don't talk about it, there's no way to solve what's going on. Mm -hmm. And we can only ignore things for so long before they become really problematic. Right. We gave a couple big examples of just having hard conversations in our life. And we both feel like we have grown a lot in this area of communication. I think the plan right now is we're going to dive in deeper to more specific examples of like how we actually work on the skill of communication and having hard conversations. What does communication development look like? Right, exactly. And what does practicing it look like? And we're going to do that in our next episode. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening. Remember that the thoughts and opinions that we express here are solely our own and nobody else's. We appreciate you opening up with us, and we'll talk to you soon.